Hello and welcome to the Untold Told Hour. hour. <laughs> you were later than I have ever been. You were later than I have ever been. I was doing it on purpose. Yeah, you get like negative three points for that one. Uh, this is you Andrew go, Belser bus. and Jessica Chobot. And my child in the background. And Sorry. a child because this podcast is very appropriate for children. We want to say that up front. Bring your yeah. children into the room now if they're not already in the room. <laughs> And that let them listen to the Untold Hour. We are also joined by Susan Slaughter. Hi. Hi. It's been a few years since I've talked with you both. It has been a few years. I think you might have been on, if not the first, one of the first video versions of our podcast. Yeah. Right. I mean, these are still kind of the first versions too, sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. But- well, but, they include like giant votive penis candles because that's right. That's right. Yeah. Right. The <laughs> penis candle. And we talked about like disrespecting spirits and mm-hmm. um, and having the right kind of posture when you're ghost hunting, uh, spiritual posture or little physical posture. What we talked about years ago. I definitely don't. <laughs> I remember. And I remember we had, we were in uh, the, a space at the Nerdist building that we we didn't continue to film in. Remember that, Jess? We were you talking about meltdown. Up, no, we had set up shop <gasps> on the what became uh, offices before we moved to the stage where we properly did bizarre states every week. That's right. That's right. I do remember we, that that weird, creepy zone in our office building that nobody at the time would go into because yes, it was like, why is there a two way mirror here? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And um, we did an episode, I think, with Todd Stashwick there. Yeah, yeah. I remember that when we were doing Yeah. That was good times. Fun I'm the times. Bizarre States historian. Yeah. Back in the day. Well, so tell us what you have been up to, because it has been many years since we last spoke. Well, I'm up to what most people are up to now and being quarantined and all sure. of that. Um, but still, you know, filming crazy. Um but this time I, I shoot from a charcoal screen that was given to me and I shoot at home in the living room. But um, I'm currently shooting season three for Paranormal Cut on Camera on the Travel Channel. Nice. Uh, so that's exciting that I still have a job because those people yeah. tell me, oh my God. And now I have to shoot myself and do my own makeup, which is very challenging. Um, so, what are you, and- so what kind of segments are you kind of, are you self-producing then? Um, well, yeah, now it's just me self-producing at home. But before I used to have like, you know, a producer, camera guy, audio guy, makeup artist, PA yeah. and all that stuff mm-hmm. and in a green room in Burbank. And now it's here in Joshua Tree because that's where I'm quarantining at. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, paranormal caught on camera is essentially what I do is I look at other people's captures of paranormal phenomena or like different types of phenomena like UFOs and cryptid sightings, things like that. So it's a lot of fun because I get to stretch my brain outside of the paranormal box, which is my background, and learning a lot about ufology and cryptozoology, which is really cool. What do you think about that new news in regards to the UFO stuff getting released? 
So we actually talked about that on yeah. our season of Paranormal Caught on Camera. Um, I, both, so I have two stepdads and they both um, were pilots in the army and they'd been telling me about strange UFO sightings they've seen their whole lives, like just serving in the army as pilots and um, they had all these crazy stories. So I've seen strange things in the skies. When I've worked with Ghost Hunters International, we went over mm-hmm. to Peru. We we're in Chavin, Peru, which is like such a high elevation. And um, I remember seeing strange, you, I guess, UFOs, but they were more like orbs or balls of light, like hovering in, in unison with each other. Um, that was a really cool sighting. Nice. But, uh, that was uh, that was with Barry Fitzgerald. He was out there with his camera trying to capture photos of it. I was wondering if the stuff that was released looks very similar to what was released, what, like a couple of years ago, like three years ago now. And weren't Bowser, weren't we talking to Jeremy? We were. And forgive and me, was, I'm having a brain was... freeze because I was having a frozen margarita. Oh, is that why um, your face? Yes, we talked to Jeremy Corbell about, I don't even know, they might have been the same videos. That have said, just now. Well, didn't he say that the one that was released was that they were referring to as the West Coast off of, I think it was California. Yeah, it was like Francisco a, or LA. I can't remember. I think it was off of San Diego. Yeah, San Diego. Yeah. But I thought he said that one that they were labeling as a San Diego sighting was actually mislabeled and was an East Coast sighting, and that yes. sooner or later the East Coast sighting, the the actual East Coast sighting, was going to drop, and that's what I'm wondering. Is that what this is? Right. That's what he had told us. But I don't remember. He might have told us that off air because, yeah, he said something like, well, that's okay. I think now I believe. Uh, But I think he said I think he said there were were these two videos and they're both being labeled as West Coast. But the spoiler alert is that one of them is East Coast. I don't know how the ones are being identified that we saw this week. Yeah. Well, East Coast, West Coast, there are sightings everywhere. Yeah. some really cool shots all the time uh, working with this new series. And I'm actually in one of the hot spots for UFOs right now. Well, I mean, forever, I guess. Like, I'm a mile down from the Integatron and Giant Rock where they used to have, like, these big, like, UFO conventions in the 50s. Nice. That's great. Uh, oh, so I, you're I, by I, the Integratron. Is that the gigantic yurt that makes the sound, that has the sound waves thing? Right. It's actually built uh, entirely out of wood. There's uh-huh. no metal in it to be like, to create like this uh, sonic acoustic. They do a lot of like sound baths in there, but the idea is that you can like resonate sounds within there to contact spirits. And Van Tassel, who built the building, um, believed he was contacted. He was a contactee from Venusian races of extraterrestrials that gave him the idea to build this sonically resonating structure. Um, yeah. And it was, uh, there was a German scientist that helped him like raise money because he was also a, an enthusiast. He worked with radio technology in the fifties and the U S government believed he was a spy. So they tried to like capture him and eventually ended up killing him in that giant rock where he used to like host conventions. Cause he Damn. lived on, a tunnel it's so bizarre this so- whole story is like i want to hear nuts. about this guy all right well you yeah. just sent me on a deep internet hole 
after yeah, we're done here. <laughs> You'll just that's the rabbit hole is underneath giant rock. I'll tell you. Um, yeah, yeah, because I have been wanting to go to the Integratron for so long and uh, have never been there, but seen other people post about it. And I was just like, oh, it looks so cool. Bands record in there because it sounds so good. They, like the Foo Fighters did that, a bunch of other. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, like musicians have gone in there to record just because it sounds beautiful. I've never been there either. I've only been to their gift shop, which is so oh, sad. Well, I, I like shopping too. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about what, what I saw has been making news this week, that you're a part of this uh, Conjuring House live stream. And what right. exactly is that going to entail? So um, me and a few other paranormal investigators got together and we started this uh, independent network of paranormal investigators called The Dark Zone. And we've been funding this out of our own pockets and kind of collaborating together to bring like, you know, paranormal content that's not controlled by networks and production companies and things like that. So we have our own independent outlet. And we got in contact with the Heinzes, which are now the current owner of the infamous farmhouse that's known um, to most popularly because of the Conjuring movies. But the I call it the Perrin House. The Perrin House is an old farmhouse and a family moved in there. Um, I believe it was in the 70s. And it's located in Rhode Island in Harrisville. And the new owners uh, are paranormal investigators. So they purchased this house to kind of turn it into, I guess, a laboratory, an unspoiled laboratory to study paranormal phenomena. And they, <laughs> I get, they ended up getting quarantined in this home. So they've been living in this home and uh, we've, are now linking it up to live camera systems because they have installed surveillance systems throughout the house to document any type of activity that's been going on there. And they gave uh, the dark zone the full access to the house for a week. So that way we can meet the Heinzes and anyone who's interested in knowing anything about um, them living in the house currently um, could interact with them, could investigate with them. And joining us is Andrea Perrin, who is a child living in this home. And she has several books out. Like she wrote several volumes of books um, that are really interesting. And the movie, The Conjuring, are based off these volumes of books that she wrote called uh, House of Darkness, House of Light. She's got several volumes of them that entail like what it was like, the types of phenomena growing up in the house. Mm -hmm. So now you have the Heinzes living there and they say that activity is still going on, that they are actually, it's been ramping up since they've been in there full time now. So we actually get to kind of have eyes throughout the house and meet the new family that lives there. Um, and it's really interesting that now we have a family there that's interested in the paranormal, that wants to interact with it. And they're going to be hosting nights with investigation. So this is a week long event. Yeah. Um, if you were, if you go to the darkzone.tv, you can sign up to to, I guess, eventually be part of the surveillance of this house and join on the investigations. We're also going to have a few nights that um, we're going to have seances and use Ouija board to try to mm -hmm. stir up that activity that um, is so well known. Um, as you know, it's a very famous location because the Warrens investigated there and they use those techniques as well 
doing seances and Ouija boards. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, both of the Warrens have passed on now. Ed mm-hmm. was the it broke my heart that um, Lorraine passed away. Uh, but now we get to kind of follow in their footsteps, you know, and continue to investigate this house. And uh, I guess this in- investigation isn't over. It's start something and continue what the Warrens, can, you know, you know continue what the warrens started i guess is what i meant to say yeah but other amazing paranormal investigators are going to be part of this event as well so not only do you get to meet the heinzes and investigate with them you get to investigate with other investigators that such as myself you know um Mm -hmm. and also ryan kano from paranormal cotton camera as well he was also on the sci-fi series haunted collector but i just i just got um wind that other members of ghost hunters and ghost hunters international are going to be coming in to be part of the event um which i'm really excited because i get to see barry again but this time in a house in rhode island through the internet (laughs) yeah and he was our team lead but i did get an updated list from the producer of this event on who are the new names coming in but i know right now we have dave schrader um, from Darkness Radio and the Holzer Files. And we have Kristen Lumen from Ghost Hunters. We also have, well, a ton of people. I heard Chip Coffee might join us. I heard Joe Ooh. Chin might join us from Ghost Hunters. It might be a total Ghost Hunters International reunion, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, so it sounds li- like it's the all-stars here. It's like the Avengers of That's Ghost cool. Hunters <laughs> yeah. for this event. It's all about. That's exactly why we started yeah. this. Was because there is a lot of segregation in the paranormal community. People are like, oh, we watch Travel Channel, or oh, we watch A&E, or oh, we like these ghost hunters, or we like that ghost hunting show. And to be honest, we are all comrades, you know? So right. we get together and do little independent things like this and work with real life, you know, families that live in haunted homes, you know, which is kind of lost nowadays. And who doesn't want to actually see what the you know, the farmhouse from the conjuring. Oh yeah. Yeah. I I would love to go to that place. Talk about like kind of a dream come true to get, um, stuck inside of one of those during COVID. I don't know what to expect going in. I've never met the Heinzes. I've I've never met, you know, any of the parents. Uh, so it's going to be awesome to just kind of get to know them, get to know their investigative skills, to talk about a home that, you know, is so famous for its activity. But yeah, so Andrea Perrin's going to be part of the event, um, the one who wrote those books. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also have Colin Brown from The Paranormal Files is joining, Bridget Marcourt from uh, Ghost Magnet Park Podcasts, and Playboy Bunny. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we've got Sophia Temperanelli from The Ghost Host and Jay and Marie Yates. Gosh, so many. Barry Fitzgerald, Colin Brown, Kristen Lumen, Dave Schrader, Andrea, myself. You know, there's That's and there's awesome. more than announced yet. So yeah. and it's, it's and it's a 24-7 thing, right? So if you depending on like what level you sign up for, you'll be able to just have this on right all the time. And you can watch it even when no one else is watching it. If you're like quarantine, like screwed in the head up late at night or super early in yeah. the morning just watch for activity and 
and then you get to in interact with like the homeowners and the house yourself and you could participate in the seance and the Ouija session. So, and meet your favorite paranormal investigators. That's so will awesome. there be like a, a full schedule released prior to the week that people yeah. can say, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure to sign up for this 24 hour session because that's when this seance is happening or that's when this investigator that I'm a fan of is yeah. arriving. They'll kind so of know the schedule, but it hasn't officially been made as we're still acquiring cool. paranormal investigators because we do have a lot of time to fill, but um, if you subscribe to the dark zone and join, um, you could get an early bird special with it. I don't know what that is yet. I'm not the financial aspect of this, right. <laughs> you know, but, um, you have to look it up through the website, which is the dark TV. And I think it's, a, I'm excited. I, this was a house that I've read about even before the movie happened. And yeah. Um, I'm, I'm like, well, beggars can't be choosers. I've always wanted to go to this house, but I mean, I'll be there virtually this time. And I get to meet the new family that's living there. That's quarantined there. Yeah. So no choice, but to be there. Um, and it's just kind of crazy that I get to do this. Well, if nothing else, yeah. you make the connection now doing it virtually. And then it's totally. it all lifts. You guys are already there. friends and know each other. And so it'll be nice yeah. and easy to get back. And then I get to spend the night there for exactly. Exactly. Well then, well, what we'd love to do is have you back after this whole experience for a totally. longer chat, but I wanted people to at least get this information now because this episode will post right before this begins. When does this begin? So the beginning date, which is officially, I'm looking this all, I have cheat sheets. Yeah. Uh, so it starts May 9th and it goes all the way through the 16th, 24. And um, that's when you can surveillance the house on your own, but then you join in at certain times and certain investigators come in and um, I guess different investigations will happen at different parts of the house on different days. So mm -hmm. that way we get to like focus in on a location, yeah. um, raise the energies there. And yeah. And then, yeah, I say you look up the schedule and you find your favorite investigator, the people you're most interested in meeting and join us on the investigation or with the seance or a Ouija session. Perfect. And you see Andrea Perrin and the family. It's so cool. I mean, if you're sitting at home and you want to participate, the more eyes that we have, the better because it's easier to corroborate when weird things happen in the home. So yeah. Totally. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll, we'll make sure go to darkzone.tv. Yeah. Yes. The darkzone.tv. The darkzone.tv. Also check out on the travel channel, paranormal cut on camera. Um, we're doing season three and every Sunday you'll see, I guess, I don't know how that's working out in the quarantine days because I don't even have a television, but I think it's, <laughs> I know it's Sunday nights and I'm not sure if like season two is melting into season three right. or what's going on, but we're shooting season three right now. So that means season two is probably still going on. And um, then you'll see my quarantine set up in my bogus makeup because I don't have a makeup artist. <laughs> I mean, I think you look lovely today. So yes. I, it looks Gosh, perfectly. <laughs> I got really nervous when Bowser was like, yeah, you got to call in at six. I'm like, <gasps> I know. I was like, it's a video okay. podcast. Wait. I, I've <laughs> given up. Yeah, I've given up completely for myself. I'm like, whatever. If, am I somewhat clean? Do I smell? It's not smell-o-vision, so we're fine. Right. Show up. You smell well, and Susan, where can people find you on social media? I'm Susan the Dragon Witch on Instagram, and I'm Slaughter underscore Susan on Twitter. 
And you can also connect through to me through the dark zone TV. Okay, perfect. All right. Well, we'll have you back. Thank you for visiting with just uh, even if it's just a short bit this week so people can get that information and check out the dark TV. Thank you. Thank you. I got to leave now because I haven't finished watching Waco. So, oh, yeah, uh, you need to. Yeah. So I'm signing off. All right. See ya. See ya. Take care, you guys. Bye. 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 That would be, uh, that'd be a dream come true to be, I mean, it would be a dream come true to just be virtually there. But well, I like the fact that all of these places are getting really creative by doing these virtual tours. I know the Queen Mary has one up and running. I mean, obviously the conjuring one sounds a little, a lot more in depth and, and, um, and robust, I think, than just having a, like a live feed, but Right. I, I like I like the fact that this is happening. Like it's like, oh yeah, I've totally. always meant to go check that place out. I'm so jealous of the homeowners getting able to being able to stay at that house. I know. And we should mention, I know that on the on the article they do say that a portion of the proceeds will go toward a COVID nineteen related charity of some kind. So oh, that's good. People should know that. Um and i I'm planning on once we get closer to the release date for their live stream i'll make sure and post you know maybe in fact not only theirs but maybe i'll post over on our facebook group um a list of all of the really cool kind of virtual things you can yeah virtual speaks something to do during covid in fact no no doubt i should actually um come up with a couple things like playlists and all that stuff. We, yeah. Yeah. We can start. I don't know why I didn't think of this earlier. I think it was because I was just focusing on other stuff, but now that I've got some free time, yeah, I think that's a, that's a, a good idea. So we'll start pumping out content for that. Also tell me what you think about this. Okay. I've been toying with the idea of since it's a new podcast, sort of in a, a new year, kind of. <laughs> for, <you know. laughs> yeah. I mean, sort of, I feel like we never really got this year going before we all kind of locked ourselves down. But, um, what about giving the Facebook group another chance and making posting to the Facebook open for everyone instead of having to go through the gateway? I mean, I'm down to try. I know it can get wild fast, but yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm down to try. I think, I think we can give it a go. We've got rules in place now that we didn't before, but it's an idea. It's a thought. So people listening to this podcast, uh, we might be releasing the Kraken very exactly. soon. Yeah. Uh, uh, opening the gates hmm. to the Facebook group so that you guys, when you want to post something or reference something on there, don't have to wait for Bowser or myself to approve, to approve it. Yeah. We, we put everything on lockdown because we started getting a lot of weirdos uh, that were just being very disrespectful and trying to cause problems. But yeah. I feel like, you know, it's been a while. A lot of what people have been posting to me to get approved has been fine. So yeah. I, I'm willing to give it another shot. Okay. But then after this, if it gets screwed up again, then forget it. Yeah. Then, then mom, it's a three strikes mom voice, situation. Yeah, mom voice work comes into effect and everything everything gets ruined for everybody. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, I know you don't watch the show, but there was some great mom voice on last night's episode of Survivor. Mm. Um, because tribal council was getting out of hand and a player, one of my faves named Denise had to shut it down. And on Twitter the next day, she was like, yep, everyone saw my mom voice. Everyone saw how I talked to my kids when they ask what grounded, 
why? Uh, it was a good moment. Um, I don't know. I know I've I... always had a problem when adults try to do mom voice on other adults, whether they deserve it or not. It felt just, weird. I don't, I don't play that game. That's a fucking move. Weird. That's a fucking move. That is a conscious decision that she made. That's a move. And I do not stand by that. You're that right. Is, that, it was weird. That is a way to, um, that is the way to, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's not really to get the situation under control. It's to make the people feel ashamed about themselves. Feel little. I feel little, which is why moms do it to their kids. Yeah. They're reminding them that they're little. But um, <laughs> right. but for an adult perspective, I just, I, that that's one of the things where if you want me to fly into an instant rage, yeah. and get even worse than what apparently I already was been that you had an issue with, do that. Because yeah. That then it'll really get real bad real fast. If I didn't like the player so much, I would have been more bothered by it. But yeah, she was like, you know what? We're done. It's over. She was like shutting it down the way a mom would with her kids, but she was she's on, you know, a TV show full of other adults. Yeah, I would have lost my absolute shit. And not everyone was having it. So I want to talk to you about Waco. I watched the TV show a couple of weeks ago, but I told you I didn't want to talk about it until I had also watched a few documentaries. Mm-hmm. And to not to what corroborate s- what's going on within. Yeah, well, show. it was just one of those shows where as you're watching it, you're like, okay, well, I know this isn't exactly what happened. Or I know this character is a composite of three different people, actually. And it felt, to be honest, I should say, it's a weird thing to say spoilers about. I have vivid memories of how Waco ended and watching it live on television. So it's weird for me to say spoilers, but I've talked to people, they're like, what was Waco? And I'm like, what do you mean, what was Waco? It's weird to me that some people don't know what Waco was. I mean, younger generations that don't know it don't doesn't throw me off. But like people that are our age... Or just slightly younger or slightly older that aren't aware of it. I was, I kind of have this attitude of, where were you then when this was all happening? Like you must have been living under a rock because this was huge national news. And yeah. I remember, like it stuck with me so much that anytime I hear that town's name, yeah, it's all I think about. It's immediately what I think about. What's that really famous home? Isn't there a home? Yeah, and they're all show? Yeah. the Magnolia yes. people. The Magnolia ones that, is all yeah. in Waco, and every time they say it, and I'm like, every time Y'all. they say it, I'm I get freaked out, and I can't watch the show because I immediately start thinking about Waco. Magnolia, the Waco we know totally. Chip and Joanna from yes. you know what was that show? Oh my oh, gosh, I don't know. I just remember she's really into shiplap. It's and all shiplap all, all the time. Shiplap. Yeah. And the name of the show was it's Lord far, it's Jesus. Like Fixer Upper. Yeah. It's like Farmer Shabby Chic. She basically took totally. Shabby Chic from somebody else's concept and threw shiplap on it and then turned it into a whole new. Oh, bullshit. an empire. It's an, an empire. empire. An all new bullshit empire. And the funny thing is now they have their own compound. I mean, they have a huge, it's like Waco. It's like, <laughs> except it's, it's Magnolia. It's except that it's beautiful. Except it's shabby chic. It's a shabby yeah. chic compound. Um, I mean, dude, they have, they, they, they have, they have a literal empire. I mean, I think mm-hmm. their place in Waco now is like, I don't want to overstate it, but I, there's shops and like, cafes and well, they have they have they took uh, over a whole like industrial yeah. area with these silos and have turned it into like everything i want to say there's like a salon i mean i don't know i'm probably, probably. wrong but 
Hey, um, smart on them to whatever contract that they had managed to negotiate that allowed them to do these offshoots. Good for them. Magnolia Market at the silos. No, I'm totally right. There's everything. There's so much there. Mm-hmm. Kitchen, dining. Oh my gosh. Uh, it's crazy to be looking at this stuff. Apparel, books, jewelry, the, garden. Ikea of, I don't know. I don't have it. There was something there. There was yeah, something it's all there. Good. I, I, I was going to drop the shiplap again, but I know. You know, then it's just too much shiplap. It's too much, much shiplap. Much like themselves. Yeah. So yes, they have made, they have kind of given Waco, and I hate to say it, but Yes, for the longest time, saying Waco was like saying, um, I guess it would be Death. technically, well, right. But but specifically, where was Columbine? Is that Boulder? I don't remember. Um, let me look that up because I remember when people would talk about, here I am saying it, it, it only made me think of, uh, oh no, Columbine was Littleton. Why did I think it was Boulder? Okay, well, that that just disproved my own point. My point was that I, whenever I heard the town of what Columbine was from, I only thought of Columbine. Point is, yes, Waco, you think of the Branch Davidians and you think of that siege and that tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to, since watching the show and then watching all these documentaries, I've gotten oddly defensive about the, a subject, as I do. Like I get Oddly I, defensive about Waco? About people not knowing the truth about it. Or about people not understanding the like depth of the tragedy. I was talking to some friends of mine. One is Canadian, and one's British, and and I was like, so for you, where you were as teenagers when this happened, did it register? And they were like, no, I didn't even know about Waco till like this year when I saw that that TV show existed. And I was like, oh really? Well, it was an American tragedy, so maybe educate yourself. I, mean, I like got I don't so. No, you high. should go that hard, dude. I, I know. Mean, <laughs> it wasn't. It was very much a big deal here in the states, but I don't. I don't see why. I you know. know some small town in the middle of. You're right. The British Isles would know or care. No, I was getting too hot. You're getting but too hot. But it's because I did such a deep dive. So yeah. Clue okay. me in. Try to avoid the kids stuff. I don't want to hear the kids stuff. So I'll, do what I'll, you can. I'll, I'll do what I can. I mean, you you must know that many children died. Yeah. But that is, that's all you need to know. I mean, here's the thing. To take it from just watching the TV show first, Waco. It was a Paramount Network show that nobody watched. Paramount was trying to make their own prestige TV event. It didn't work. Nobody watched the Paramount Network. Now, years later... They can take that show elsewhere and it it lands on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And because of our current situation, um, a lot of people watched it. It almost felt like a new Netflix show. Mm-hmm. Um, and people kind of di- di- digested it as such. Also, it just so happens that it has a lot of people on it that are on other shows. Like one of the girls in Waco is the girl on Ozark. One of the Culkin brothers is in Waco, and obviously, you know, uh, Kieran Culkin is up in the mix on Succession. Rory is the one in Waco. Anyway, it stars Taylor Kitsch as David Koresh. Um, Michael Shannon plays who they portray to be kind of the lead negotiator, uh, a man named Gary Nosner. Now, one of the things I learned was that Gary Nosner w- wasn't the only negotiator. There was a team of over 50 different negotiators over the course of the siege. But of course, 
to simplify it. How long did it. the siege last? Like how, how okay. many days did it start to, yeah, sorry. The siege did was, I just let you do your thing? No, no, no. Ask me questions. Cause I'll lose track of, of I, where I am in the story. You should. While I do know of Waco and while, while it has been kind of cemented in my brain as a tragedy, I don't actually know much of the details yeah. because at the time, my parents, I mean, I was older, but still, they still tried to sh- like shield me from it. Yeah. And I was also absorbed in my own bullshit. So right. I'm not, I know smatterings of info and that's and about I, it. And there's been a lot of kind of misinformation about it over the years. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember as a kid, so for people that don't know just very generally what happened, um, David Koresh was a leader of a sect of Branch Davidians. And Branch Davidians was a, I guess you could say, spin-off religion from Seventh-day Adventists. So I always Adventists? Thought, yeah, Advent, yeah, Adventists, yeah. <laughs> just, Adventists, it sounds like I'm saying inventors. Ad- Advent calendar. <laughs> I know. Uh, so Who I always- the chocolate behind door 16? <laughs> I always thought, this was something that I was confused on as a kid. I always thought, the Branch Davidians were defined to me and through the media as a cult. There's yes, a cult. I thought so too. He's a cult I leader. didn't realize it's a cult. that it was even a, a, a spinoff of an, of an actual religion. Well, that's what's so dicey about it all, because arguably it was a cult. David Crush was a cult leader. If you're looking at it from the perspective of, you know, someone doing harm to their followers for his own benefit and gain mm-hmm. and fame. Um, I mean, I looked up recently what defines a cult, and you know, it's a slippery slope between, well, it's just a spinoff of another known accepted religion. It's a slippery slope between yeah, that and oh, now there's someone that wants to hurt people and have a mass suicide. Mm-hmm. Not that Waco was a mass suicide. That could be argued but a cult is defined as a system of religious veneration and devotion direct toward a particular figure or object i mean that could almost just be anything a relatively small group of people having religious beliefs regarded by others as strange or sinister so here's the thing first i want to say what led me to dive deeper into waco was the fact that hot take the show is not good okay the show is not good primarily because it does such a disservice to the truth. Okay. And I think when you have a show that presents itself as prestige television and when you attract a cast of, you know, you've got Michael Shannon, Shea Wiggum, who's a famous character actor. He plays uh, the head of kind of the tactical side of the FBI, Julia Garner, Taylor Kitsch. You got John Leguizamo in there as an undercover FBI agent. I think they wound up being attracted to the project because it looked like it was going to be prestige when in actuality, it's it's an overproduced episode of Criminal Minds spread out over six hours. And you start to realize that pretty, pretty soon. Some of the dialogue, you're like, oh, well, that's hacky. This feels like a regular procedural. And then mm-hmm. once you realize how me- how much pertinent information they left out, it really, I think, re- reveals itself to be pretty hack TV. Okay. Well, give me the give me the deets. Like, so um- here's the deets that I feel like were uh, really needed to be included. 
the show Waco is incredibly sympathetic towards David Koresh and the Branch Davidians. I think you should feel sympathy towards the Branch Davidians because they were people that were abused, some sexually, by David Koresh. Um, they were being manipulated. They were being misled by a cult leader. David Koresh was arguably gunning for the apocalypse and aiming to aggravate the government until he could fulfill what he saw as prophecy, which was Babylon coming against his church. So the show. So he always had the goal of trying to become a martyr. Yes. Or he just wanted them to attack the church, him survive. And that I way honestly, he can reinforce his belief system with the next round of cultists that he manages to get on board. I think he was down to die. Okay. And I think he was down to look like a martyr. Now, there's moments in the TV show where he says, and I don't doubt this is true because they have 70 hours or more uh, of tape between Koresh and the negotiators on the phone. And at one point, Koresh says to the negotiator, well, multiple times, he says, no one's going to die. We're not dying. We're not in here to commit suicide. Because the thought became, they're there to do a mass suicide. That's how this cult stuff goes. Mm-hmm. Koresh was like, no, we're here to live. We're here for life. Yada, 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 yada. That's fine. But when you watch these documentaries, they were having the, the, the kids sing songs like, we are here to die. That you had the kids learning how to use weapons at like eight and nine years old. Mm. You know they were they were raising not only the kids but older uh, Davidians to believe a fight like this may be necessary to serve our religion. So then to have him on the TV show and you only highlight the side of him that was like, "We're not here to do a mass suicide." I think it's a little imbalanced when mm. he was stockpiling weapons. Mm-hmm. What this is what led to the initial warrant and the initial raid at the compound. Here's a little oh, backstory. Okay. David Koresh had a vision, I think, when he was 19 or 20, that basically God wanted to use him as a second lamb, another Christ, uh, or another messenger. Man, I wish I had that kind of confidence. Dude, I was right? saying the same thing. I was Jesus like, Jesus, Christ. I can't get like, five no people to do I know. But yeah, I yeah. can't. I can barely wake up in the morning these days. I, I wish in my my brain would one day be like, you know what? Fuck I it. think you I'm God. Walk, you can walk on water, bitch. I'd be like, mm-hmm. fuck yeah, let's do what I want. Like, I wish I had that kind of confidence. But rarely is that is that type of confidence ever safe. It always becomes weaponized and oh, you start yeah. a cult and you kill 80 people. Yeah. Yeah. With that kind well, of confidence. Yeah. I don't think I'd go down that road. I think I'd become power hungry, but I certainly have no Will, like I would not be in a big rush to die. I think I yeah. would just want to be in a big rush to have a lazy life. <laughs> right. But <laughs> like, these people you know, really I don't even a... want to, I don't even want to do the sex thing. Like, I don't want to have sex with anybody. Right. I just, I want to be left alone. Right. Just bring me my TV dinners, say good things about me and then leave the room and we can all just get along. <laughs> right. No, these people. And when I say these people, I mean, cult leaders and especially men that kind of crave this type of power. It's always to manipulate and, Mm-hmm. really selfish gains. Have so, you ever done any inf- investigating? I know it's not always been just men that have been cult leaders. There's been some like amazingly, I don't know if you would call them amazingly uh, talent. I don't know how to call it talented and manipulating people, but you know, like right. big time female uh, 
cult leaders as well, but how how come it does seem to be more men than women? Yeah. Have well, you ever mentioned any of that in gosh. any kind of documentary that you watched ever? No, I mean, and I wouldn't even know where to begin. That's such a because there is something there. I mean, I always did. You watched Wild Wild Country, right? Yes, and that's I mean, what she, I was thinking. She there was, was basically a female, pulling the strings. I can't remember yeah. her name off the top of my head, but she was pulling the strings behind the scenes for the main guy. Who, yeah. but at the end of the day despite her being as powerful as she was, he was the one that was still the Uber manipulator because he got away scot-free and all of the totally. bad stuff got dumped on her. Yeah. So yeah. And I don't know she, if you could say she really won that situation. He was still the one in charge. Totally. But there was something that she got out of like riding off that power. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm even thinking back to the 30s, There was a there was a famous... There was a famous, I had, I guess you would call her minister, preacher, priestess. I, I don't know, but she was, uh, uh, she worked out of. You're talking about the one in L.A. Downtown L.A. Oh, yeah, totally. With the big church down here, which um, she had three names. What was her name? Mm-hmm. Amy Semple McPherson. Yeah. Yep. Thanks. Yep. Well, so interestingly enough, anyway, I don't sorry remember. Sorry for the tangent. No, it, it's all good. I don't remember specifically how Koresh got linked up with the Branch Davidians, but I remember that the Branch Davidians in Waco had existed for decades. And okay. so that was another misconception I had was that David Koresh started a cult. And it was, I even thought as a kid that it was called the Branch Davidians because he was David. And That's they what were. I no, the Branch Davidians are an existing religion, they still exist. And so they, they were still, already established for years before totally. he even got in the mix. And then he joined yes. them and rose through the ranks. He Exactly. And when you say rose through the ranks, what he did was specifically target um, an older woman who was their current kind of leader and prophet. Mm-hmm. And he, she was 70, I believe. He convinced her that they were meant to have a child together. And this was something that this TV show didn't even mention. And I'm like, well... This is huge. The way he got into this religion was through manipulation and through basically throwing a woman under the bus. He got mm-hmm. this, got in so close with this prophetess and she became pregnant and miscarried. And when she okay. miscarried, David Koresh said, well, then I guess she wasn't meant to be used by God. And two other followers tossed her out of a moving car. So, and then David was now like, you know, head motherfucker in charge. So to me, if you're talking about an origin story, uh, I mean, that's a huge part of it that he showed up and was like, who's in charge? That chick. Oh yeah. I love you. We should have God's baby. What you miscarried? Get the fuck out. That's huge. That's Mm -hmm. he came in as a villain. But like, how did they? Yeah. Well, I guess you wouldn't know because they didn't talk about it. Well, you did watch other docs. So he does this. Yes. She miscarries. Maybe yeah. you already said this and I wasn't paying attention, but like, how did she become convinced that because he was like, well, you miscarried, you're out. How, like, if she was already the head person in charge, why I know. She, like, I don't give a fuck what you say. I know. I'm head, but he, I'm the head person in charge. He had, he had really, he had already begun to manipulate followers to where they were like, yeah, you're right. I, I want to say her name was Leslie, but I could be wrong. And I don't know if you can fact check this Aristotle, but, but, she was out and David was like, yeah, looks like I'm the guy. Right. And everyone was like, you are, you're the guy. He 
got them. He got the others. So he basically, he, sorry, my mic was moved. So he got the others. So he basically kind of like mean girled the mm -hmm. situation on her. Without a doubt. Yes. Yeah. All right. Okay. So, they, mean so as a his group, way they all kind of came against her after yes. her miscarriage. Did they ever do any, has it ever been mentioned? Did he cause the miscarriage in any way, shape or form? In, now, order in this to documentary, this they, no, they didn't specify. Okay. Um, so, so he rises through the ranks and I mean, there's, there's, there's almost too much to unpack. I'm trying to keep it limited to like what I felt like the show didn't do that it should have done. I think the main thing to me was that he was, uh, trying to build, um, I don't know if you'd say an army, but he wanted 24 children because he was convinced that he was um, a new voice to interpret revelations and specifically the topic of the seven seals. And once these seven seals are open, basically heaven will come down. And mm -hmm. part of getting all of those seven seals to open biblically would be the readying of these 24 soldiers of Christ, these new Yeah, man, children. I saw the movie with Demi Moore. It's great. Right. Which one? Which movie would that be? <laughs> Is it called Seven Seals? Oh, dude, maybe. Yeah, let me see. So he's trying to get his 24 children. So. Yeah, the seventh sign. I'm sorry. Oh, the seventh sign. That's the right. The seventh sign with Demi Moore. And she and she's like, all of it is the seven seals happening. Yep. Yeah, you're totally right. So, So he basically... Sets up shop. He starts taking multiple wives, some of which are 14, or at least one was 14. But can I ask him one more question? Sorry. Yeah. I'm, no, I'm intrigued it's by good. this. This is actually pretty amazing. So he wanted all these kids yeah. in order to somehow kickstart this seventh seal thing yeah, happening. Yeah, kind of totally. But what, is, what does having the kids have to do with these seven seals? Because the Bible, in Revelations, it specifically talks about that in the end times, there will be these 24 soldiers or these 24 prophets and so it's this weird chicken or the egg thing which yeah like how does he know just because his kids are born that they're prophets because right. he's because he is who he is i'm sure is it his yes. response in his brain but it's just again, his hubris there's that, there's that it's, confidence right it's just his hubris interpreting mm -hmm. scripture to mean well i guess that means i need to hook up with a bunch of chicks then that's all it amounts to. It, mm -hmm. oh, and they even had in the TV always show. Always and forever. Always and forever. Every, every time we've talked about a cult, part of the cult is like, so does that mean I get to fuck a lot? And it's like, well, then <laughs> yeah. I guess. And yeah. what's funny is on the show, Michael Shannon's character says that. He's like, so why is it that whenever we interact with any of you cult leaders, you're trying to have sex with everyone under the sun. You're trying to get m more marriages than are legally allowed in the state, you know? And Koresh is like, it's not about that. They actually show that in the in the in the uh, in the show Waco they 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 say that Crush didn't even enjoy sex that he he didn't like it if he enjoyed it because he felt like it was just something he had to do physically in service of God. Mm -hmm. But this is another thing that they left out of the TV show. Um, they, I mean, it's it's in there, but it isn't in there with as much detail. So he took other people's wives to be his wife. Mm -hmm. So he had his right-hand man, this guy named Steve Schneider, who had come there, I think, from Hawaii to, like, be his right-hand man. And at one point, Koresh was like, I'm sorry, Steve, but God's telling me me and your wife are supposed to uh, be together. And Steve was like, well, I guess 
that's fine then, David Koresh, whose name was Vernon Howell, by the way, not David Koresh. Wait, his real name was Vernon Howell? Vernon Lee Howell, if I'm I mean, that's not still mistaken. a pretty nice name. But think about this. This is what I think is interesting. Vernon Lee Howell. Wait, is it not Lee? Hold on. Let me get this right before I keep joking about it. Um, his real name, Vernon Wayne Howell. That's a serial killer's name. You know what yeah, I mean? Yes, it like, is. It's almost like he tried to or trick like, the universe. Yeah, or like old Holly's Hollywood method actor name. Yeah, exactly. Dude, One I the love two. the movies of Vernon Lee, Vernon Wayne Howell. Vernon, yeah, <laughs> exactly but like something. When, when you're like, oh, David Koresh's real name was Vernon Wayne Howell, I'm like, oh, well, yeah, well, he was destined to get 80 people killed. He sounds like a serial killer. Yeah, because David Koresh does sound obviously because like a cult leader, like a cult name. Yeah, but Vernon Wayne Howell, yeah. Howell sounds like a possible totally like actor, like yeah, theater actor or serial killer. It's like somebody changed their name just to give themselves a greater destiny. But it's like your name's you know your name's Bud Lippert, and I'm like, no, my name's Hezekiah. Like, uh, okay, yeah. so. So one of the most tragic, I think, stories out of both the TV show and the documentary is what happened with with Steve and his wife, because basically Koresh wound up, um, you know, consensually or you could argue none of this was consensual because he was a cult leader. So mm -hmm. what's consent in a world where you're manipulating everyone's thinking? Can I interrupt again? Yeah. What made him so convincing? Like, what was it about? Like, a lot of these docs that we've watched and yeah. where cult leader takes over it's either people are burnt out on society in general and um you know i can get behind understanding that and so they're looking for an escape and these people are providing them an escape a la this like back to the back to mother earth kind yeah. of paradise and then once once it does well it gets twisted because the people that have started it start vying for power Right. So even the best intentions eventually things shift. And so I don't really feel like that's manipulation up front so much as right. it's like a, 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 I mean, in some cases, yes, in some cases, no. But in general, I feel like it is more of a, hey, we all, like, can't we all just live together and in harmony? And then further on down the road, it falls apart. Yeah. So the, like, it's the, you know, the road to hell is paved with the best intentions. And then the other side is, somebody's definitely down to manipulate and take advantage of these people from day one, whether yeah. they do it consciously because they just are an asshole or subconsciously, even in their own mind, because they, you know, who knows what's going on in their own head. And they think maybe that they really are God or an offshoot of whatever it is that they think yeah. they're an offshoot of, but with the intention to cause problems and to only do it for their own selfish reasons. Right. So for those people, for those kind of leaders, the people that they target are usually like down and out in some way, shape or form, whether like on a yeah. physical level, on an emotional level or a combination of the two. So what was it about Koresh yeah. that he was able to, I mean, cause this sounds like some high level, crazy, I know uh, aggressive manipulation, like taking people's wives, abusing children, abusing women, like, all of this, like leading people to sl a slaughter. Like how well, that's, does. See, that's the thing is like 
when I watched these documentaries, it looked like that from the outset. I was like, how did you get all these people on board when, when it feels like you were pushing them all towards such an aggressive climax? But when you watch the show, they even take time to unpack him getting like one single new recruit. They try to basically answer the question you're asking, which is what, what about was, him? What was it about David Koresh that was able to get a hundred and some odd people living at Mar Mount Carmel in Waco, uh, living under his rules and his law. And he, he, this is great. This is like a character sp specific that just, I thought he was like a wannabe rock star, first of all, which is great to know. And he would play gigs like in cover bands around Texas. And he met a drummer named David Thibodeau, played by Rory Culkin on the show. And David Thibodeau wrote the book that Waco, the TV series, was partially based on. He was one of the survivors. Mm -hmm. Koresh basically pitched this, this utopia of class doesn't matter. If you're an outsider, if you're not educated, if you've got no future, you have a future with God. You have a future with the Branch Davidians. I see the potential in you. We are all children of God. I have the word directly from God. And this word is going to give you life. And they have the character of David Thibodeau going home with him to the compound after a gig and not really being a believer, kind of being like, what, dude, you think the Bible's going to give me life? And then just staying there long enough to start to believe in the communal ideal of living and very like you do the work, I do the work, we all till the ground together. It's mm -hmm. just kind of a utopian society. And I do think he must have kept a lot of his true agenda masked. I don't think he was saying, and eventually I'm going to start stealing y'all's wives. I think he was keeping that. And then doling it out in, you know, partial movements of like, well, we've been here for a couple of years. Now I want to talk about these 24 children I have to have. And now that's introduced. And now and they the all believe. People are already invested. They've already lived this lifestyle, yeah. this like glorious lifestyle that he was selling them for like five to 10 years or however long it took. Yeah. I mean, then I don't think he even got involved in the cult until the cult. Well, until the, with the Branch Davidians until the 80s. And all of this hit, you know, uh, critical mass in 93 it mm. was so yeah so but he yes. really he really took a snail's pace at at planting these seeds yes and he be to the point where there were people inside of that compound that even during the siege did not believe it was going to no pun intended but explode the way it did they really thought okay day to day we're fine yes the fbi and atf are out there but David doesn't want any of us to perish. That's not what this is about. But he did have, I think, a very like internal solo agenda that was ultimately evil and was about the destruction of human life. And I think, and one of the docs I watched was called Madman or Messiah. And they didn't need to call it that. <laughs> they could have just called it Madman. Right away, it's like, well, Madman. Because when you're inside this stuff, you, you, you take it at this day-to-day, -day, okay, well, today got a little weirder. Well, this month got a little weirder. But from the outside, it's almost obvious. I'm like, y'all are headed toward a giant, like, international news-making, mm -hmm. you know, siege that leads to an assault that will be infamous forever. Yeah. But they they're couldn't see it. Yeah, they're too, it's that whole thing, like, yeah, you can't see the forest for the trees, or you're yeah. too close to the canvas to actually see the picture. You just see the details. And right. That's enough to carry you through. But then when you stand back, you're like, what? Totally. So this is what's interesting, though. What really set off um, 
Waco as we know it is that something that they traded in for money were the buying and selling of weapons, guns. Mm -hmm. They, there was a time where what they did wasn't illegal. They were just buying and selling guns. They were just upping the price and making a profit. But then they started to take a lot of guns and convert them to be fully automatic, which is illegal. Mm -hmm. So now it jumps from, oh yeah, well, this church in Texas uh, they also go to gun shows to make money. Now it it all of a sudden to the FBI looks like, so this church in Texas, Texas is stockpiling fully automatic converted weapons. Mm-hmm. For what reason? Question mark. Yeah. Well, and even if they are selling them, it's still illegal because they're automatic weapons. Right. Like you can't, there's no, right. there's no win on that situation. Now- now enter in Ruby Ridge. I don't know how much you know about Ruby Ridge. I know the name, and that's pretty much about it. So Ruby Ridge, to explain it very, very quickly, a man wa- um, had broken parole while on a firearms charge, and so the FBI had the right to search his house because they had heard he had had weapons when he wasn't supposed to have them, and when they showed up, there was a shootout. And the FBI, or no, the ATF, I believe, fact check me, the ATF wound up killing his wife and his son, his teenage son, mm-hmm. accidentally. Like Sniper thought they were getting him and then they got, so Ruby Ridge was like an infamous failure from the ATF's perspective, I mean, from the world's perspective on the ATF. Now, they say in the Waco TV show, I don't think it was this simple, only because it felt very hack in the TV show. They literally have a character on the Waco TV show who's the head of the ATF, and one of his um, underlings is like, wow, we really fucked up Ruby Ridge. And he's like, yeah, it's going to be hard getting our budget approved this year. And then the underling is like, well, have you heard about Waco? What if we went in there, got all those guns out, and looked like heroes? We'd probably get our $10 million budget approved. And the head of the ATF is like, go to fucking Waco, my guy. And I'm like, okay. I don't I do. know. You and I have dealt with um, upper management before, and I feel <laughs> yeah, like that true. very well could have been a conversation that happened. That's true. That's true. And they do say that the agenda behind the initial presence at Waco from the ATF was to get their budget re-upped, was to basically mm-hmm. impress upon Janet Reno, hey, we're very functional and very necessary, and we just got 200 weapons removed from a cult in Texas. So that was the intention. The intention was we're going to Waco to serve a warrant to get these weapons. Mm-hmm. Here's the problem. Um, they, A, they tried to send someone in undercover, which is a pretty cool story. A man who I, I believe his real name is Robert Rodriguez, and he was named something else on the show, but John Leguizamo plays him. That should have been, and that could be its own film because they say he got a little swayed by Koresh while there. Really? Whoa. He's interviewed today and he's like, no, I was playing the part. You kidding me? But they say he really took to their lifestyle. He was Mm -hmm. welcomed. Koresh knew from the top that he was undercover. Yeah. Hmm. Um, But he basically was the one on the inside And I mean, this is fast forwarding, but okay. So they, the FBI and ATF were considering 
okay, what's the best way to roll this out? Because this is a mess. They, when they go to serve the warrant. Okay. Um, they still don't technically know who shot first. Was it the FBI or the Branch Davidians? Okay. Um, but when they go to initially serve this warrant to remove these weapons, there is a shootout that then launches into a 51-day standoff. Okay. And people argue who shot first, the FBI or the Branch Davidians, but one thing that seems to be consistent between the different things I've watched and read is that Mm -hmm. the FBI shot the dogs that were out front in the kennel, the Branch Davidians' dogs. And they say that's like protocol to disable these, like from the FBI's perspective, it's like, well, well, there are weapons from that as, you know, I mean, listen, if they're shooting up a bunch of Yorkies, yeah, that's pretty shitty. Right. But, but they if were you've these, got like, guard big... dogs that have been trained to right. attack people that are coming onto the grounds, then from their perspective, yeah, you're taking out a weapon. Totally. So that set off. From the Branch of Idiots perspective, they're like, like why the fuck are you shooting our dogs? Shooting yeah. at us. Right. So yeah, this is totally. war. I get it. I get both sides of this. I mean, I don't, yeah. I'm I'm saying I agree, but I yeah. understand both sides of these perspectives. Yeah. So the actual standoff and the actual final raid is, I mean, it's such a bifold of David Crush was a horrible, horrible man. I firmly believe. And later in a congressional hearing, it came out that he might have even molested children, not just taken a 14-year-old bride, which technically in the state of Texas, uh, uh, you can marry a 14-year-old with the the parent's consent, which he had. But what you can't do is marry more than one person. So the whole situation was illegal. Also, it's insane that 14 was ever considered an age to be married. Yeah, the whole thing is foobar. But... The point is, David Crush is a horrible, was a horrible person, I believe. He was gunning for the apocalypse. But the way the FBI, when you learn, I watched a documentary called Rules of Engagement, Waco. The way they went in there on the final day of the standoff was bonk nanners. Like, insane what their thinking was. Let me fast forward real quick. They tried to negotiate for 51 days. The FBI negotiators every day were like, hey, tactical dudes, give us more time. And the tactical dudes were like, we want to go in there. They're wasting our tax dollars, et cetera. FBI negotiators were like, please give us more time. David Koresh said, this was a really smart tactic from uh, the negotiator's perspective. Because nobody knew how to talk to David Koresh in a, in a way that would really make sense to him. He thinks he's hearing from God. Yeah. So the negotiators, whichever one it was, on the TV show they say it was Gary Nosner. I don't know that it was. He basically said, what do you think God wants you to do in order for us to end this? And Koresh said, I think he wants me to write basically a new chunk of the Bible. And he wants me to write what I know about the seven seals. So this negotiator, or maybe the group of them said, David, how much time do you need to write the seven seals. And David said, two weeks. Okay. And the negotiator went to the tactical dudes and said, can we give him two weeks? And those dudes were like, he's lying. He's bullshitting. He's never coming out. 
negotiators were like, we've got to give him the time. They had already gotten out, I think, close to 20 people. Um, so have they gotten out 20 people by negotiating with David yeah. for them? Okay, yeah. so now he's give, they've, they, they're like, this is working. This plan is working. We're getting but it people was, out. It's taking time, but it's going to be a long haul anyway. Right, but okay. it only really worked in the beginning. He, they were able to negotiate letting out the kids that weren't his kids and letting out some of the parents of those kids. But basically, once all the kids were out that didn't belong to David, David was like, well, that's it. That's all you're Shut getting. Down. Yeah. And they're yeah, like, well, there's the other kids are still part of his grandiose yes. plan. Okay. He still has 24 kids in there. And they're like, you're like, well, what about them? And he's like, oh no, these are God's children meant to reign next to me in the apocalypse. And they're like, got it. Fuck. So the standoff, I mean, I remember turning this on the TV. My sisters and I would turn it on and there'd still just be those shots of the compound. And we'd be like, what's happening? And I have a vivid memory of when the compound eventually caught on fire, but I remember from, that. That's pretty yeah. much all I remember is Waco, correct? Like the names, and then seeing the compound on fire with the smoke plume. Right. So you've got one side of the FBI that are like, "We've got to go in there, and we've got to put an end to this." And these negotiators that are like, "He wants to write the second Bible. If you let him do that, he's told me he'll come out." But he had already kind of made deals with negotiators and balked already. Oh, okay. So they, yeah. okay. So it's, he's not, he doesn't have the best track record. Right. And you can see from both sides, like he's never coming out. He wants this to end in bloodshed, but uh-huh. then you can see the side of like, there's still so many women and children in there. You can't rush this. You can't rush it. And, oh, and I should say the initial shootout that led to this 51 days, um, I think 10 Branch Davidians died and four FBI, mm-hmm. but don't quote me on that, but they lost some men. So the FBI, I mean, I think on a personal level, these guys that were there in Waco for that many days were angry. And they were angry that they felt like they were getting dicked around by a crazy cult leader. Mm-hmm. And I watched in the documentary I watched called Madman or Messiah, they interview one of the lead FBI dudes. And he still has no, you can tell the way he talks is like that dude wanted to light that place up. He was like, we're fucking, we're there fucking around. Like, fuck, he says he wants to write a fucking Bible. Fuck him. It's never going to happen. We need to go in there with guns. You know? Yeah, he's pissed. He's pissed. He's like, I'm not giving this guy the time of day. They've already killed some of my men. So it's hard because the way they eventually went in was such a hard botch. It, it is, it like, you cannot define it as anything other than a giant fuck up. But at the same time, I do believe David Koresh was waiting for something like that to happen. I don't know that he was ever going to come out peacefully, but that many people should not have died that day. That's like Mm -hmm. a horrid botch. Okay, so anyway, day 51, they send in Robert Rodriguez, the undercover guy, Mm -hmm. to see if he can get a sense of whether or not they know a raid is coming. And he goes in and he's like, what's going on, guys? How's everybody? And David Crush is like, I know they're coming. And Robert Rodriguez is like, cool. They who? And he's like, don't. You're fine, dude. Leave. Best of luck. I know they're coming. You did your job. You were on their side. I get it. Like, Koresh admits, I know who you are. I know there's a raid coming. I'll let you get out. And Robert Rodriguez like walks that's out of the building. That's really odd. Uh, you know, Super that doesn't odd. sound like a person. That sounds like a weird personality. 
Like that doesn't sound like anything he would have normally have done. Super weird. And does anybody have anybody has theories as to all of a sudden why David Koresh was just like, I don't give a shit. I think it's because he ultimately knew what was coming was so much bigger than like a personal vendetta of like, this guy's been lying to me. This guy's an informant. I think Mm -hmm. he was like, oh, I know. It's fine. We're about to fucking fight Babylon, my guy. You can go home. Like he yeah, just like peace to you. Bye. Yeah. So okay. the but the funny thing is the way they got tipped off was that a local postman was a Branch Davidian, and the FBI or ATF, because they wanted media coverage of this event, had already told local media. So think about this. They want the coverage because they want this big mission to be seen and they want it to be seen as a success so that they get their big budget approved. They tell the local media, hey dudes, come down to Mount Carmel, like, I don't know, 9 a.m. on Tuesday? I don't know what day of the week it was. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're gonna have a fucking show. The news, the local media, one of the local stations, they get lost on the way to the compound. They stop a postman and say, Uh hey, um, where's the Branch Davidians compound at Mount Carmel? And the postman's like, it's right down there. They're like, cool, thanks. That postman immediately goes and tells, he's a Branch Davidian. And he's like, I just saw News 7 asking where where our compound was. Yeah. I think there's a raid coming. Heads up. Heads up. So the FBI ratted on themselves. They like blew their own cover. Unbelievable. So there's famous footage of Robert Rodriguez going back to the FBI where they had their camp and he's like, they know we're coming, call it off. And all the FBI dudes are like, huh, really? And forgive me if I'm saying FBI when I should be saying ATF. They were both there and I don't know which one did what out of this giant fucking clusterfuck. Robert Rodriguez is like, don't do the raid. They know we're coming. And they're all like, okay. I mean, element of surprise is kind of the most important thing. But you know what? Fuck it. And he's like, (laughs) what do you mean, fuck it? And he's like, I think we're going to do this. Fuck it. And he said that, like, the men on the ground were like, this this isn't, we we were not trained to do it this way. Mm -hmm. I know I'm walking into 110 armed Branch Davidians waiting for our assault. Some being children. Some being children. So this is the crazy thing. Their tactic is to put tear gas into the building using these giant tanks with a boom arm that have tear gas coming out of a nozzle on the end. It's like putting a hypodermic needle on a, on a jackhammer to give yourself a fucking flu shot. Mm-hmm. It's this nozzle that in order to inject it into the building, you've got to crash into the building with this fucking nozzle. So they just start dis- immediately destroying the building. I mean, beams are falling down on people. And they're on a PA system going, this is not an assault. This is tear gas. This is not an assault. And then you've got, you know. People getting crushed by their own house. People getting crushed. People, gas coming in. It doesn't matter what you say over the PA system. You've now said, yeah, this is an assault. Even if you're saying this is not an assault. Yeah, just just because you say it's not doesn't make it not. It's that dumb guy, smart dumb guy thinking of like, well, I told him it wasn't an assault. Oh, you did? When you crashed into their building with a tank? Yeah. So they fill the building with tear gas and they say, come out, come out, come out. Well, no one's coming out because they're 
religious devotees who believe this is the yeah. apocalypse or they've, they've been, been fucked up by the fact that they've gotten crushed or they're trapped under beams yeah or and this is what happened that you know if you could fast forward listening to me it would be best but i'll leave out the details but uh-huh. a lot of people went to hide in an area that was concrete that was kind of like a bunker mm-hmm. to get away from the gas but all that did was, was just lock tur- them into the corner yeah right so now everyone's in a bunker i think 40 something people are in a bunker the building is coming down around them. They can't get out. What the FBI didn't know about this gas, which was called CS gas, is that when, well, they knew that it can easily catch fire. Every, the last five F, like standoffs I- over the last decade and a half that utilized tear gas at this level, it led to flames and death. So they knew, yeah. but they thought, well, they'll come out before that. They're filling this place with tear gas. People are trapped in different areas of the building. The tear gas catches fire. And then the entire place erupts in flames. And when CS gas is heated, it basically becomes cyanide. So you're so on the- they pe- didn't get killed by the flames, they right. died from cyanide poisoning. Totally. So there's no way those people were getting out of there. So their idea of- well, this is not an assault. It's tear gas. Come on out, y'all. You've trapped them in a fucking pot-bellied oven. Yeah. One full of, of the, cyanide. Full of cyanide. One of the fire experts who was interviewed in one of these documentaries said, by poking holes in the building, you've literally created a, a giant cooker. oven yeah. to ventilate the fire just enough to where it's unstoppable. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter if any of those people were I mean, having second thoughts. Anybody that like steams vegetables in a microwave, what do you do? Right. Oil top, you poke a couple holes. Exactly. In the microwave. Right. That's exactly what they did. Right. So, I mean, beyond botch. Then when the fire, also they had no fire department present. They had no one even on call. They didn't oh even say, God. "Hey, this could get out of control." When how the f- had how has the FBI? How did the FBI get out of this? You like, wanted, how did they, dude? It's kind of crazy. How did they not get like by the by the the folks that managed to survive and the yeah. families that who who maybe like some of the members were Davidians, but they were not, and the, but they still lost their family members because yeah. of the raid. Like, how did this? I mean, I'm sure knowing I knowing. I'm sure they just walked away from it. it. Was like not our problem. Well, they a lot of them straight up. A lot of the FBI, I mean, straight up lied. There were people that said we didn't fire a shot that day, that day fifty one. We didn't fire a single shot. And then during the congressional hearing, because there was a huge hearing about this. Mm-hmm. Um, during that. And it's funny because you see people that are still in politics now back then. And they're like talking about Waco, like Chuck Schumer's in it and all this stuff. Joe Biden's in the documentary. Oh, shit. Yeah. They're all talking about Waco. So um, they they were like, we didn't fire a shot that day. Then there's a thermal imaging expert who was there that day whose company had a plane taking thermal images. And he was like, well, right here we have gunfire coming from the FBI into the building. Yeah. And people were like, Gunfire? No, I think that sun reflecting off the... And he's like, no, no, no. This is thermal imaging. That white is heat, not light. So that's gunfire. And they're like, nah, I don't think so, my guy. They were firing machine guns into the fire where people would have been trying to exit. 
This they sent I'm tanks. I'm so frustrated right now on both sides of this it's, coin. Well, right, because the other side of it is you have an a asshole cult led by a madman who is yeah. hurting children. And right, so you're, that's what's so frustrating about watching all of this is um, it was dealt with horribly. But also, there was a mad madman there. But imagine how great it would have been to get him out and put him on trial and get all of those God kids and, and those mm-hmm. women out safely. I mean, that's what the negotiators wanted. They wanted him to live through the aftermath of going yeah, to so trial. so that they could drag him after the fact. Exactly. Punish Not him this. that way. Yeah. Which ultimately, which in his giving mind- giving him what he wants. He totally. Prepped, this is exactly what he has prepped himself for. Well, he said, this is the battle against Babylon that we've been, like, it fulfilled his prophecy in their eyes. That's why yeah. they then became so much further dedicated to him. Some people in the documentary, to this day, still said, oh, I think he was the son of God. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I'm Some all- of the survivors still yeah. totally believe. Yeah. I had to rewind it. I was like, "Say what, my guy?" And they were like, "Oh, point, I think at that point you can't. You got to turn. Uh, yeah, you want to help, but you got to turn away from those folks. You're like, you're you can't. I can't." There's people who left, whose kids and husband stayed in. A woman who left, and her energy was still like, "I, I just wish I had been in the building. What a glorious thing it would have been to, to die for David." And it's like, no, no. Um, wow. So, anyway. They said no tanks went around to the back of the compound, but they have footage of a tank going over to the back of the compound and straight so up running. anybody trying to escape out the back, yeah. they fucking they, get blown. There's, there's, and again, I wouldn't watch this if you're weak of I'm not gonna watch stomach it. or faint of heart, but I mean, there's footage, uh, there's photos of a man that was run over by one of the tanks that they just say didn't happen. Well, it didn't happen. We didn't do anything to the back of the compound, but they did because they were trying to avoid the news cameras that were out front. Anyway, what ultimately wound up happening was, and this is something the show doesn't go into. I think the show just said, I still can't get a straight answer on the numbers. I see one documentary that says 76 people died, some that say 80-something, some that say 20 were kids, some that say 14 were kids, some that say the numbers are all over the place. Mm -hmm. And then some say not everybody died from the fire and smoke inhalation. Some died from gunshot wounds and stabbings. So stabbings. Okay, gunshot either, wounds I can get if maybe in inside people mercy are killing, killing. mercy yeah. killing or gunshot wounds from the outside in. Right. But stabbings unless they're mercy stabbings? Could be if, if someone didn't have a gun. Yeah. So there's a I mean there it's amazing with all the information that's out there how much is still foggy. I I Do could Do you think look, it's foggy? Do you think it's because is anything decla- has anything been ever made declassified or do you think it's all still buried? I think- And that the only kind of information we have are survivor's information, people willing to talk, yeah. and like a couple of like third-party people that happen to get coverage of it. And so we're going off of what they're saying. I think it's because at the time it was probably so mired in cover-up that mm-hmm. when you kind of like gunk something up that much at the top, it's going to be so much harder over the years to ever get through that kind of calcified cover mm-hmm. because yeah, there was so much uh, smoke show happening in those following months and years that how would you ever truly, because in one of the documentaries, even though everyone now says the FBI started the fire, maybe unintentionally, but that tear gas is what started the fire. Mm-hmm. There's a survivor in one of the documentaries that says, 
I saw Branch Davidians pouring out fuel and another one say, light the fire. So, well, now all of a sudden, I mean, that's two completely opposing statements. Yeah, but that's not necessarily the case. Like as far as both of them could have had that goal. Right. Right. It could have been both. It could have been the tear gas caught fire. Like there's no the reason to think that, fire. that right. David Koresh wouldn't have thought of fire as an option if he thought, thought of everything else. I know. I know. And then the other thing that's in question still is... Maybe not knowing. Sorry to keep jumping in, no, but yeah. I'm fascinated by this. Maybe even not knowing that the tear gas could right. light. It was just totally. you know, an unfortunate combination. Yes. But... But I, it yeah. wouldn't surprise me to hear that both sides, you know, FBI, whether on purpose or not, but knowing that it could implode yeah. is what they did. And then Koresh having a backup plan of some sort to cause additional chaos or whatever the case may be. Right. More martyrdom. Yeah. To set the whole place on fire. Totally. And I do think, um, yeah, so, so uh, the question of, who died by gunshot, who died by fire, et cetera. But then also the question of how did David Koresh die? Because Yeah, so I was gonna, that was going to be my next question because I don't remember. I know he's dead. I just don't know how he died. He did die by a gunshot wound. But in the TV show, they so this right-hand man of his, Steve Schneider, who uh, him and his wife were not able to get pregnant, but she was able to get pregnant with David. And they had a child together. Um, and, you know... Steve said, I'm going to treat this child like it's mine. I'll, I'll raise it and be happy. I serve David and et cetera, et cetera. In the TV show, I will say the dude that played Steve Schneider was lit. Dude was great. Taylor Kitsch was great too. Everybody's great. I just think they were underserved the show by, itself the, was not great, yeah. by the scripts. Um, they have Steve Schneider shoot David Koresh. David Koresh basically say, shoot me because we're dying. Shoot me. They have Steve Schneider shoot David Koresh, then shoot himself. I haven't seen anything concretely say that's how it went down. There are some that say other way around. Koresh shot Schneider, then shot himself. Then there's others that say they each shot themselves. I don't know. But he did die by a gunshot wound. Okay. Um, so anyway, the, the, the other thing I think that caused everything to be cloudy was that it did get, politicized. I mean, you know, ultimately Janet Reno approved the raid on day 51, but she was given misinformation. Supposedly they said things like, no, there's no other way. He's not coming out. They didn't even mention the fact that he had said, I'll come out when I finish these writings. Hmm. So they gave her the wrong information. She got that raid approved. And then supposedly day of I think minutes into the raid, she left the war room in D.C. where they were overseeing everything to go do a speech in Baltimore. And she said, I forget to who, but was like, I got to do this speech. And they're like, yeah, no, 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 you should, you should. And people say that was because they wanted Janet Reno out of the room. Out of the room. Because it was, they knew it was going to get fucked. I mean, it's, so then you've got the, the hearings where, you know, it just uh, same as today where – blue and red are saying different things. I mean, one is just ultimately defending. It's such a, such a dicey situation, especially for now things have polarized in different ways, but in the nineties, it was polarized in a different way, you know, um, basically to justify what the FBI did, they tried to bring other witnesses 
that would they would talk about David as a child molester and all of these things. And they would be like, well, that's neither here nor there. You're trying to tell us what the FBI did on that day was correct because he molested children. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a warrant for guns yeah. that led to the burning of 70-something people. So there was just so much wrapped up in yeah. it that, like, it's a fucking hornet. Trying nest. to justify the 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 call right. by saying, well, we got this bad guy. This guy was bad. We had to right. go after him. And it's like, yeah, but you also killed hundreds of innocent people on your way to get to that. And I do think on the show they showed, they tried to embody the regret of the FBI through the Shea Wiggum character because he realizes people are trapped. And whether or not that's factual, I don't know. Um, I don't even know that his character is based on a specific FBI leader. I think he's an amalgam of a different, couple of different guys. But they show him realizing that people are trapped and him realizing this was fucked. Where yeah. He kept saying, why aren't they coming out? Why aren't they coming out? And then later understands that the structure was so, I mean, they had built that structure themselves yeah. as a church. So, you know. It's not, it's not to code. It's not to code. Um, so well, here's my final say. If you watch Waco and if you enjoy Waco, I would argue strongly uh, for the side of watching documentaries to kind of balance out that perspective because I think ultimately the TV show was too sympathetic towards David Koresh. And I don't think it provided enough insight into like the real kind of uh, sociological alchemy that was brewing around this situation. Although ultimately the FBI had a horrible approach in dealing with the raid. Yes. But don't watch either of these documentaries if you're sensitive because they get really fucking nasty. Yeah. 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 Well, that's why I wanted you to tell me about it. Yeah. Uh, that was a good breakdown, dude. Hey, that thanks. Was absolutely excellent. I'm, <laughs> I'm intrigued. I feel like you you danced that uh, that road well, where you gave me the facts and you gave me the truth, and yet I don't feel like I need to go bury my head in the backyard. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Well done. Well, uh, side note, just yeah. to touch upon what we were talking about earlier. Uh, Aristotle sent us, there is a Vice article that is literally oh. called, Yes, There Are Woman-Led Cults, which we mentioned ourselves that we knew oh, of. Oh, yeah. But, uh, but this actually breaks down um, a bunch of different ones and the reasons why uh, they got their cult status and what they are up to currently. So um, we will have this link in our show notes over yeah. on our Facebook uh, on our Facebook uh, group. And then, you know, we're, I know we're over our usual allotted time, which is about sure. an hour. Um, but do you want to do a couple listener stories? Yeah, I'm down for a listener do a story, of- especially to cleanse the palate from the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So here's a good palate cleanser. Exploding head syndrome. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Exploding head syndrome. So I, I glanced at the first couple of uh, uh, lines of this email. And the reason I want to read it is because I've had this happen to me. I have had this. What? I, think, I think what she's talking about is something. So just so you know, this is what this is what I mean. I've um, there has been times in my life where. Right while I'm trying to fall asleep or right as I'm waking up, I will hear a loud, loud bang from the inside of my head as if. Yeah. As if. Almost like a like like a rubber band holding two of my lobes together snapped 
Totally. Loud enough to freak me out and scare me enough to think, oh my God, did I, am I going to have a stroke? Am I going to have an aneurysm? Like what? And I just sit there and I wait for something bad to happen and then nothing happens. And I never knew what it was. And I, for whatever reason, I always forget to mention it to the doctor when I go in for like generalized checkups, because it's not something that happens often enough to be at the forefront of my thoughts. Yeah. But then this is what uh, Brianna, who wrote this to us, hmm. has to say about it. She says, hey, guys, I started listening to the untold hour right as I began working from home. I usually work in a costume shop. So getting to hear conversations again make me feel productive. Uh, the hospitals I'm making surgical gowns for. Thank you. You are very yeah. welcome, and thank you for doing that for the hospitals. But on to the spooky stuff. Now, you guys probably already know about exploding head syndrome. I don't, but if you don't, that's me. It's when you hear something loud that sounds real and close just as you're going to sleep. It's one of the worst pranks your brain can pull on you. I didn't know about it until 2016 when my brain betrayed me. We just moved into an apartment in Massachusetts that used to be housing for mill workers. It was a rickety old building with squeaky floors, but the natural light was awesome. Or she wrote killer. I don't know why I didn't read killer. The natural light was killer. The kitchen was huge. And we had uh, attic attic access for storage. When I drifted off to sleep on one of the first nights, there was definitely scratching at the back door. We were on the second story with thick brush out in the backyard, so I was a little freaked out. My husband heard the scratching, but we were so tired from moving, he did nothing, and I figured it was probably just raccoons. The next night, though, instead of scratching, I heard the hugest crash coming from the kitchen, like all of our dishes we'd neatly placed in our new cabinets had been tossed out onto the floor. I scrambled up out of bed, told my husband there was somebody in the house, and slowly walked towards the kitchen. It was clean. Nothing was on the floor. Nobody was at the door or on the roof outside the windows. The light from the back porch was a motion sensor light, and it was not on. So I sat back in bed, asked my groggy husband if he had heard anything, and then tried to get my heart rate back to normal. I haven't had any incidents since then, which makes me wonder if it's actually exploding head syndrome or just some prankster mill ghost who knew which of us was the scaredy cat and singled me out. If so, what a dick. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I hate it when ghosts are dicks. Mm-hmm. That's funny. I like that I'm not the only one that thinks that. I hope this isn't too long and that the format isn't weird because I'm emailing it from my phone. Actually, she's had the best, like this has been the easiest <laughs> letter I've ever read. Uh, one more thing though. I grew up in the St. Louis, uh, Louis area and a few of my friends work at the St. Louis Art Museum or SLAM. I looked through the curator battle and didn't see them post anything, but they could totally have posted about an effigy figure, Rembaramp. It's made of human bones, question mark. I'll link it from their website. My friends have stories about how this figure, I'm going to star this so that I can get this link later. Um, My friends have stories about how this figure must be facing a certain direction or weird things will start happening, like deep scratches and scrapes showing up inside of the glass enclosure. They don't display it in the museum anymore. Here's the link of which I will post to our Facebook group with the show notes along with everything else. Anyway, thanks for making a cool, creepy podcast and keeping my ears and brain busy while I'm home alone, making essential items for important workers, Brie. That is fantastic. And I think that might be what I have had. I mean, I've experienced that too. I never knew there was a name. I've woken up and thought like, oh, I think something must have fallen over in the house. No, mine, I, so mine is in a sound. Mine doesn't feel like it's a sound that I hear from a different oh, area. Okay. Mine feels like I can hear my brain popping 
on the inside of my skull. Wow. I don't and know that I've experienced that. Me the fuck out. Yeah. All right. Yeah, let me get one more here because I know we're running behind. So let me grab a, a second one. This is a long one, but we might as well go for it. This is from JW. Hey, Jess and Bowser. I love you both. Ah, the Chobot, you're my fave. Ha ha. Bowser, you suck. <laughs> and have been eagerly awaiting your return to the podcast world and have been flipping out, excited to have you guys back. Uh, hands down, you're my favorite podcast. Please cut podcast forever, basically, uh, from a former Bizarro. But she does like being called, she, I'm assuming is a she, I don't know why, she or he does like being called an Untolian. Ah. Anyway, here's my listener story. Oh, it is a she. My name is Jessica, and you can use my name. Oh, good. <laughs> I just did. Yeah. I live in Wellington, Colorado, but this story takes place in Fort Collins, Colorado. I lived in a haunted house for about eight years with my family. We bought it as a foreclosure and remodeled it, but from the very first day before we even started renovating, we were having weird experiences. We couldn't live in the house at first and could only go inside to shower and use the bathroom. Anytime we wanted to go do those things, my dad never felt comfortable letting us into the house alone and would just hang out downstairs because he felt like something was wrong and wanted to be around in case something bad happened. Got those parent instincts. Yeah. Once we moved in, we never felt alone, even with bright lights and sunshine in the rooms and hallways. Uh, wait, and sun, even with bright lights and sunshine, rooms and hallways felt dark and eerie. Even when home alone, we could feel the presence of someone or something in the house at all times. We would hear scratching from inside the walls and from inside the closets, but there was never a rodent or a pest problem within the house. My mom felt something dark, and I think heard voices coming from the wall separating my room from my brother's room. I was terrified to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, and if I couldn't hold it, I would walk from my bedroom to the bathroom and back without ever opening my eyes. That is a feat in and of itself. I was afraid of what I might see. We had a nightlight in a very short hallway, and the hallway was still pitch black, like the dark being in the house was just blocking the light. Blocking the light. I slept, walked in that house on many, many occasions. In the summer, I would go to bed with my bedroom window open. I was on the second story and would wake up with it closed. The house had heavy windows that could not open or close on their own. I would go to bed in one pair of pajamas and then wake up in an entirely different set of pajamas with the original pair folded neatly on the chair in my bedroom. Now that's just severely uh -huh. fucked up. That would totally freak me out. Since moving out, I have never slept walked again. Windows have never opened or closed. My fans no longer turn on or off. I do not change my clothes in my sleep. It all instantly stopped once we left. My mom and I both experienced our beds moving in the middle of the night, like somebody sitting down on the corner of the bed and getting back up. My mom said she woke up at 3 a.m. every morning for the eight years that we lived there. I would often wake up to see figures and creatures in my bedroom, but they would slowly go away after a few minutes. My two younger brothers also saw shadow figures in the house on many occasions. They would stay up late to play video games, and when they would start to fall asleep, they would leave the game on in the background so that they didn't hear the shadow people, footsteps, or scratching noises. Once my one brother stepped into the hallway and saw a shadow figure, it turned around and looked at him with glowing red eyes Yikes. and then continued down the hallway. My other brother said he could feel a presence beside him almost at all times and was always afraid to open his eyes when he awoke in the middle of the night as the presence always felt so close he was sure he would see it when he opened his eyes. He was also pinched in the shower one night. Well, that's just rude and inappropriate. 
When I would come home late at night, I could always hear footsteps outside in the driveway, pacing back and forth, but could see no one there. That would fuck me up. Yeah. We had a dog that refused to go into the laundry room. She would not even walk past it. She would walk the long way around the house to get from one room to another to avoid going near the laundry room. And she was quite old, so it took extra effort for her to do that. For eight years, she never went near it. Whoa. As a family, we never talked about our experiences in the house until we moved out. Once we moved into a different house, it immediately felt peaceful. No invisible dark presence. We weren't scared of the dark. Large rooms with no night lights felt bright. We no longer hear we no longer heard weird noises or saw strange figures. Our beds didn't move. I didn't hear footsteps in the driveway. We didn't realize what we were living with until we'd moved out, and then we felt so st- safe and peaceful. Within a month of moving into our new house, we all started to talk about how much better we felt and shared all of our experiences with each other. And I think we were all afraid to vocalize what was happening because then you couldn't try to rationalize things away. We couldn't move, so why make the situation worse while Hmm. we were stuck there? Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Very glad to be out of that house. I have nightmares of being trapped back in that house. Thank you for reading. I know it's kind of long, but I hope you liked it. I did. That was a great scary story i have other stories like our warehouse that was haunted for a while or where where i roomed with some girls in a house that was haunted by a murder victim but i'll write oh my gosh oh my dang but i'll write those in a different listener story love you guys and hope you guys have a great day bye that's i mean yeah it's not a long story when it's full of that many yeah no i mean that she really laid it out really well i like that i like you know I like yeah. the, nice, the nice, concise letters that just like really give you the heads up as to what's going down in the house yeah. or whatever the situation is. I like those because it's like, oh, I can wrap my brain around that. Yep. Well, that's it. That's all I got, awesome. dude. That is all I got. Well, you did an amazing job today. Well, uh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for carrying the load. Oh, it's all good. All right. So for everybody who is interested, by all means, you can follow us on our socials. Our Twitter handle is what I'm looking up right now. And that is the at untold hour pod. Uh, You can also follow us over on our Instagram page, which is the untold hour. Uh, And you can also email us your listener stories from the Instagram page. I do have the email button up. Uh, or if you don't want to do that, you can also email us at theuntoldhourpod at gmail.com. And uh, unless we have, you know, usually we don't do listener stories if we have guests. And we do have some guests lined up. But once yeah. the guests are finished, uh, are the next episodes we will be doing um, listener stories. Again, I think I am going to release the gates to our okay. Facebook group to see how it goes. So by all means, anybody listening to this that posts to the Facebook group, uh, please try to self-moderate as best you can. You can still flag information or things that you think break the rule of the podcast. Keep in mind, things are going to be posted that are weird. So, you know, yeah, take some of these posts with a grain of salt. But on the other side of things, you know, we do have some very specific rules. So I please recommend that you go read those if you haven't already. And if you see somebody abusing it or trying to cause problems or start a fight or just be a jerk, um, let us know and uh, we will ban them. And then if it gets out of control, eventually we will have to put the gate back up again. But I'm really hoping that with a new podcast, a new, a new lease on everything, a new vibe, everybody being at home, um, I, I really, I really want you guys to be able to have that freedom to to uh, interact with each other and have a good time. 
Yep. So we're going to give that another shot. And then I'm trying to think what else, uh, what else I have. Am I missing anything? I, don't know. I think that's it. I think that's it. Aside from like, if you can, you know, we're still, because we had to change names and we, we waited, we had to wait so long to get started, you know, um, it would be extremely helpful if you guys could go and leave comments and thumbs up or whatever the case may be, no matter where you listen to the podcast. I know some people are listening on Apple Pods, some people are listening on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, yada, yada, yada. We're kind of all over the place. Any little bit of promotion and or um, thumbs up or whatever the yeah. like buttons are would be helpful. So uh, uh, please put a smile on my face and like our stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Because we have fun doing this, but totally. you know, I want to make sure that we've got people that um, are interested. Yep. And I think that is it. Um, cool. Aristotle says bye and that he's on his way to the restroom. And do you want to do your outro? <laughs> yes. This has been Jessica Chobot and Andrew Bowser. And you've been listening to The Untold Hour. Bye. Bye. Star Avenue, a podcast, <clears throat> a podcast network.